Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob. We're in a marketing mastermind and the question has come up, how do you manage everything, like everything in the world ever? Uh, And I think a lot of people struggle with managing the vast amounts of social media platforms, managing all the things you have to do in your business day to day, especially if you don't feel you can hire a load of staff or you're in the business. So I personally think the best place to start is to divide your time into 70-20-10 chunks. I've done a lot of research on this over the years. I've mentored a lot of people. I've observed how many things people can take on, myself included. So some people argue that you should focus on one thing. Follow one course until successful. What would um, Blockbuster or Kodak say to that? They'd say, well, that was the end of us. If you just focus on one thing only, of course you're going to get good at it, but most millionaires, billionaires, really successful business owners, even though it doesn't look like it, they have multiple streams of income. I mean, look at Apple. They're they're not a one thing. All right, they started with a one thing, but uh, I mean, iTunes is a massive revenue generator for them. Of course, the, um, the hard physical products like the iPhone, the iPad, all that kind of stuff. Um, If if, um, Steve Jobs had still been alive, he'd be getting paid a quarter of a million pound for keynote speeches. So I think most really successful business people do understand creating multiple streams of income. You know, I think it's vital to have multiple streams of leads. So the problem with just doing one thing, in some ways it's good advice, but if you just do one thing, you are exposed. But if you do five things, you are overwhelmed. And like, picture this. Imagine you, um, there are five oil wells or five X's put in the ground where you could drill and dig for oil. And you, you were told there's oil there. And imagine drilling four-fifths of the way down one, but then wait a minute, you're really busy. You've got to get started on the second oil well. So you get four-fifths of the way down that one. Oh, wait a minute, you've just been distracted by the third oil well. You go four-fifths of the way down there. Wait a minute, I mustn't forget about the fourth one. If you get four-fifths of the way for drilling oil, you get nothing. You only strike oil when you get all the way down. So there's a balance between not enough and too much. So I created this model. It's it's sort of developed from the 80-20 principle. 80% of your um, results will come from 20% of your effort, that kind of thing. And you can almost have multiple 70-20-10s. So let's say someone comes to one of my property events and they're like, "Uh, Rob, I've still got a full-time job, but I want to get into property. So their full-time job is 70% of their time. And then what's left, i.e. evenings and weekends, I'm suggesting 
20% of your time in one property strategy, like single lets, and then 10% of your time in something that you're researching or something that is more like a, a future strategy. It might be, I don't know, HMOs or commercial conversion. Let's say they quit their job. Now they can do three property strategies and they could make buy to let 70, HMO 20, and then let's say service accommodation 10. 70 is your main thing. 20 is your secondary thing. So you always pick your best revenue source or the thing that you like the most 70% of the time because that's most of your time. And therefore, you're going to get results on that the quicker. So you are focusing. The 20 is almost like a hedge in case the 70 doesn't fly. The 10, is, you're not really going to get that far with the 10. So really, that's research. It's future. Um, you know, so like at the moment, things for me that are in my 10 might be VR, virtual reality. I want to bring virtual reality into the property world. Uh, and, you know, I do envisage a day when you don't have to go and see any properties anymore and estate agents are all online. You just put your VR headset on and you can do a real life walk around in properties. That's going to happen. And like as an estate agent, that surely that's exciting. And as a property investor who teaches loads of deal packages, I mean, imagine you're a deal packager. You just lob your data online. Someone puts their headset on in their house. They view the property. They flash on an imaginary button with their hand and they, and they pay through the blockchain. You know, they, they transact on properties. I mean, but like if I start doing that as my 70 now, people are going to think I'm freaking insane because it's too early. And, it's, and the thing with entrepreneurs is we can get a bit distracted and excited about everything. So that's my 10. Global, you know, we were talking, weren't we, about uh, Progressive going global. That's my 10. Because if I make that my 70, Progressive's going to break. Now, Gita asked about social media. So I take the same approach. 70% of my time is probably spent on Facebook. 20% of my time now is probably de um, devoted to podcasts. 10% of my time is everything else, like Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. So the 70-20-10 model, that does mean you can't do everything. Because if there's five choices, I'm saying choose three. So you... you, you the answer to how do I do everything is actually you can't do everything and you have to have the strength to drop something. Like find me an influencer in the world who's brilliant across all social media channels. There isn't one. Some have mega Instagram followings and virtually nothing on LinkedIn. Vice versa. James Khan has millions on LinkedIn, but no, nowhere near as much on Instagram, for example. So you can't expect to be great at them all. But here's what you can also do to add to this, how do I do everything? You outsource some of the things that you can't do. So when I started in social media, I didn't even want to do a live feed because I was scared about the tech of how to do it. And I was a bit self-conscious about how I might come across and how I would look. My chin always looks really big in videos. I don't like it. Um, my head looks like an egg. You can really see the wrinkles in my forehead. I don't like the way I sound and talk because I'm not very eloquent. Uh, and all that was in my head. Look what I just said, ma, instead of my. Um, but in the end, I got over myself and I started doing it and I focused on Facebook because at least I was a bit more comfortable there than Instagram or YouTube or whatever else. And then what we did was my outsourcer took my Facebook videos and he simply chucked them up onto LinkedIn and retitled them. 
and he would take one minute sections out of my live that got chucked onto Instagram, sorry, onto LinkedIn, and then he'd put them on Instagram. I, know, I didn't log into my Instagram account for years. Uh, I haven't logged into my Twitter account for months. And he just started repurposing my content on those channels. And that gave them some traction without my time. And then as something like LinkedIn gets big, your shift changes. So once you get good at a platform, you actually, or an income stream, or a business, which is your 70, you actually find I'm not spending 70% of my time on it. Like look at Natasha. Her main businesses with 180 staff, she's a day and a half a week. Because you do get to the point in your main business where you extricate yourself, you set up some systems and processes, and your 70 actually becomes... 20. So then you turn your 20 into more. So now I'm doing Instagram lives in the morning. I spend a bit more time curating my LinkedIn content because it actually gets more reach now than Facebook. And so you just pivot your time. So outsourcing helps you do five things because you do three, 70, 20, 10, and they do two for you. And then systemizing your 70 let's say it's social media or whatever business model it is, once you get staff and systems and processes and outsourcing, you all of a sudden start going, well, I don't need to do so much of this. And then you can bring a new stream in. So in my book, Multiple Streams of Property Income, I teach how you build. For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector. I'm a watch investor. And those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk and he sources the higher end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years and recently we've done a partnership. Hence I'm inviting you if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. Nine income streams. Now, what a lot of people don't get is you don't start them all at once. And this is where some people are getting a bit unstuck. They look at Progressive and they see we've got a letting agency, a property training business. They see I've got, you know, quite a big podcast. I'm an author. I'm a public speaker. They see we do commercial property, single let property, HMO property. Did I say a letting agency? Did I, a a um, non-property training business. And they look at all that and they go, I'll do all that. But they don't realise that it took us 12 years to build all that. And I didn't even know we were doing this until I reverse engineered it. But we would start a business model and focus on it only. Then when there was a second one that we saw that we liked, we'd spend 20% of our time there. And then when there was a third one, we thought, well, we better systemize the first one. And we'd systemize the first one and get out of it and then make the second one the first one. The third one, the second one. So now we've got three income streams, but one of them is more systemized. And then we can introduce a fourth one. And we, it's like a cookie cutter machine. 
So we started in a job, working for someone selling properties. That was our 70, well, that was our 100, actually. And then Mark was like, we should buy properties in Peterborough with there's no contract. Our boss doesn't want us to buy this kind of stuff. I think we should buy single lets locally. So Mark and I, evenings and weekends, were buying single lets. So that inadvertently became 80, 20. Um, then I got us fired. Um, and so we did have an income stream from our single lets, but now we just had single lets and we had all day, two of us. So we started selling deals for other people. So we had 70 buying properties for ourselves, 30 selling deals for others. Then that business really grew. So we systemized our property portfolio by having one letting agent who managed them all. And so single lets became systemized. Deal packaging became our new 70. And then we started buying HMOs, which became our 20. And then when we'd been doing this a few months, I was like, do you know what? I'm getting a lot of people asking me, how do we build this business? How do we buy properties? I'm going to write a book. Because when enough people say to you, oh, you should write a book, you, all right, one day you get up and you go, I'm going to write a book. So training became our 10. Now, when I wrote a book, I didn't realise that was going to be the biggest training company in the UK with 850 training days a year, 20 million pound business. I just started writing a book. So that back then was a 10. And then deal packaging, we hired two or three estate agents to go and buy all the properties for us. And we were able to get Mark extricated from deal packaging. So we've got single lets systemized, now deal packaging systemized. So now Mark went out and scaled up buying HMOs. And then I scaled up and started running events. So now we've got four income streams. Uh, then when we had enough properties, Mark was like, we should set up a letting agency because we've got so many, it's not worth having them let by someone else. So we set up a letting agency, which became our fifth. And then when we've been doing enough property training and all of our property investors are like, I need mindset help, business help, we set up a non-property training business. And that's sort of how it's organically grown. You know, like, have you seen gremlins? You know, like gizmo and you put water on him and all these balls of gizmos all pop out. Um, and that's sort of how our business organically grew. I actually did a video on it, which got a lot of views, hundreds of thousands, where I mind mapped this all on a wall. So going back tactical, how do you manage everything? You list out everything that you're doing. And that can be at the high level business or it can be at the granular level, social media. You focus your time 70% on what's going to get you the best return on what you enjoy doing the most. And it's, for me, it's always been Facebook and social media, but that's changing. You work out your second one that's going to get you the best leverage. And then you work out what you can outsource to others. You know, like people in your office or VAs or just someone helping managing your online profile. Now, you would I know everyone around this table and everyone listening would be absolutely fine doing that. But then what will happen is you'll watch someone thinking that they're doing everything and then you'll get jealous and you'll compare yourself to them and you're like, oh, I should be doing more. But that's a distraction. If you follow this cookie cutter model, you'll get there in the end. And what your goal always to do is to systemize your 70. Because the way you free time is to systemize the thing that's taking most of your time. And then if you free 15%, then maybe you can start a podcast, for example. Now, there is something else to add to this, and it depends on your stage of your business. Um, but when Mark and I started, certainly for the first two years, um, 
I wasn't really, I was single. I didn't have kids. I wasn't really interested in anything else but business. So I can do my 70, 20, 10 in my day. And then I can do something else evenings and weekends. So Mark and I were always out at networking events. If, I, if there was podcasting back then that I knew about, I'd have done my day's work and then I'd done podcasting in the evening. I was writing the book in the evening and in the weekend. Because to me, you know, business is a passion profession merge. I love doing it. Now, of course, it's different if you've got kids and you're married and you've got a social life and hobbies, none of which I had back then. Um, and you can only add mar marriage and kids to me now. I don't have a social life and I don't have any hobbies because my hobbies are business related things. And I'm cool with that. So if you can, you can nick a bit of time evenings and weekends. For example, you guys, you could maybe do a podcast together and you travel and go see guests together. Now, you might think that's my biggest nightmare or you might think mm, that's something fun to do. But like I've always merged holidays with doing some business like a mastermind or going to do speaking gigs. So there are ways if you want. I'm not saying you should because this is all up to you. Um, there are ways to merge your passion and your profession, your hobbies and your business. But this all comes back to what's your lifestyle balance? If you want a healthy balance of family, relationships, hobby, and business, you have to accept the fact that your business is going to grow slower. And if you're cool with that, be cool with that. But be cool with that. And don't expect your business to grow to like someone who's hustling 100 hours a week, because it's not. But they might burn out in three years. So, you know, just be clear on what you want. Certainly in the early years, I was just 100 hours a week. But I didn't have anything else to fill the time and space. And now, 5 to 6 p.m., every day, I sit down and have dinner with my kids. Um, my son's just got into football, so I play football with him every evening. Of course, golf is with my son is first in the diary. And I'd sacrifice £5 million a year for 10 extra hours or 15 extra hours a week with my kids, which I wouldn't have said when I was 25. But if that's your choice, that's cool. But then don't compare yourself or envy or, or get frustrated by those that are able to do more because you've just got to make your choice. By the way, those that seem like they're doing everything are often doing everything badly. Or those that seem like they're going out there and hitting it in a year, they burn out. So putting your gym time in and your health is re also really important. But it's all manageable and balanceable. Um, my book, Routine Equals Results, is where I documented exactly how you can create a hardcore, compartmentalised, hyper-efficient, daily plan of your time. So, Natasha, you do all your meetings on a Tuesday, did you say? And what is it on you do all on your Thursday? Yeah, one-to-one -one with all your managers on a Tuesday. Right, you get all your managers together and, and meet with them. So that's very efficient use of time. If you didn't have that structure, you could quite easily go in all day and have a couple of meetings every day and loiter around and faff around and get distracted. So clustering, batching. Um, when I go to London, I try and batch two or three meetings. I do all my own personal high key result area and income generating tasks, 5.30ish to 8-ish in the morning, because that's the least amount of emails I get. It's the least amount of activity on social media. And so therefore, it's the least amount of distraction. So you will get the most done, not everything, but the most with a very regimented, clear. And it sounds weird to, to like 
sometimes people in my staff will go through my diary and they'll see things like date night. And I'm actually scheduling in a date night with my wife. Um, and of course, it seems like you shouldn't have to schedule in a date night with your wife. But if you don't block that out, then you can go months and you feel like you haven't connected with your partner. Whereas if every Tuesday and every Thursday from seven till nine, we have a date night, even if you just decide to watch Game of Thrones or even if you, even if you, you know, and, you, and yeah, you're like, yeah, that's a perfect date night. That's what we'll do. Oh, Jon Snow. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing is, with a diary, if it's not put in and fixed, everyone else's emergencies, re reactions to what other people want you to do, fires, that just fills it in. Now, next thing to add is a bit of net time leverage. Because what I've tried to learn over the years is, how do I nick time? How do I create time out of thin air? How do I get time? How do I cheat time? So, in the past, if I needed to go, let's say, to Leeds for a speaking event, in the past, I'd drive there. And when I'm driving there, all I'm doing is driving. And then I thought, wait a minute, let's get smart with this. Why don't I line up a few calls instead of randomly doing my calls? Because by the way, it takes time to set up to do something and it takes time to set down to do something. That's not efficient. Whereas if you batch six or seven tasks in a row, set up and set down times the same, but you've not got set up, set down times seven. So then I thought, well, if I'm driving, I might as well batch in some calls. That's therefore nicking that dead time and turning it into calls. Now I have a driver and I sit in the back and I get even more done because I can get more calls done because I'm not concentrating on the road and trying to do calls. And of course, I can access my um, laptop. Many of you in this Forex Marketing Mastermind um, who, you know, you got a one to one with me. I did in the back of a car and I had your plan up on a laptop while I was being driven to an event or to Audible Studios to do the voice over my book or whatever. So that is creating time that didn't exist. It used to be dead. When I'm running and in the gym, I'll listen to podcasts. I'll often do calls when I'm working out. It seems to work pretty well. And then all of a sudden, you can get two or three times more done in a day. Of course, there's a difference between being efficient in the back of a car or on a train and being with your kids checking your social media. I'm not saying, I'm not really a believer in multitasking are you trying to do two things at once? I'm a believer in where the time used to be dead, but you had to spend that time, turn that into productive time. And I found if I'm efficient like that, I only need to work th two, three hours a day, max. I never really, like not even 30 days a year, will I do any work after 3 p.m., something like that. Because just keep it free and I've got it all done in the morning. Now, if I was getting distracted or checking emails or in the office when I'm trying to get my vision and strategy stuff executed, I'd just be a nightmare, never get it done. So actually, um, I, um, I flew to Portugal to run a speaker course about, let's say, two months ago. And I saved some work for that flight. And I just thought, I'm going to do a personal test. What can I get done on a three-hour flight? Um, and I wrote my new bio. 
I wrote the entire progressive property website. I think I replied to 30 or 40 quite technical emails. I rewrote a chapter of a book, my new book, I'm Worth More, for my publisher who needed it, the chapter changing. And I got a couple of other tasks done in three hours. And I thought, I'm not even joking to myself here. That would have taken me a week back home because I'd have pratted around left, right and centre and got distracted and looked in the fridge 70 times a day and had, had an internal argument and debate with myself and distracted myself and procrastinated actively because that's sometimes the biggest damager of results, isn't it? Active procrastination. I mean, if you're going to procrastinate, do it in style. Do nothing. Don't convince yourself you're busy, though, when you're actually just messing about. And I'm impatient. So like when I get on a plane or in a car, I just want to be at the destination. So actually doing deep dive work distracts me from thinking about oh, how long have we got? 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 Um, so hopefully there's some help there on how do you do everything? Does anyone have any questions on that specifically? Yeah. So the, when you say the question of frequency, is it? How do you become frequent or is it how frequent should you be so that there's not fatigue? OK, so there's no hard and fast rule of frequency. So what I generally tend to do is test by looking at likes, comments, shares, reach from that the social media platforms give me. What do other influencers do? Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk are chunking out eight or nine Facebook posts a day. Grant Cardone was tweeting nine, 10, 11 times a day. So I got over the, my worry about one a day being too much and people being annoyed with me. Um, now, here's the thing that we oft forget about social media. If you post once a day, not everyone will see one post a day because the algorithm might let you reach 5%, 10% or 20% of your audience. So on average, you've got to post 5, 10, 15 times a day for in a collated averaged way, everyone to see one post. It doesn't always work like that because your top fans will see more and your least engaged followers will see less. But your top fans want to see more. That's why they're top fans. So I long ago stopped worrying about people worrying about me posting unless I get a lot of feedback. If people go, Rob, you're posting too much or the reach goes really down, I'll go, oh, OK, maybe I'm posting too much and I'll drop back a bit. We were at three a day on LinkedIn and my outsourcer, he felt that that was maybe a bit too much and our reach was reducing. So we went back to one a day and the views on my page is halved. So we're going to go back to two a day and it may be two a day is the sweet spot. No one, not one person. And this is really interesting because across all the platforms, I've got about 2.1-ish million followers, subscribers, everything else across all of them. And no one has said, Rob, you, you post the same stuff on all the platforms. Not one person. But I do. Not all the time, and, and more and more now I'm making it more specific. But for years, I was just repurposing. Because repurposing is better than not posting on a platform. Of course, the next level is unique content for each platform. But not one person ever said that, which means that they either want to see it or they're not on all the platforms or the algorithm is feeding it to them in a different way. So just keep testing. But until you're at two or three a day per platform, I don't think you can say to me, you're too much. So get there first. Now, of course, like we often post out and worry about 
how people might perceive it in a bad way instead of thinking about all the people that will perceive it in a good way. And remember I said about that post of that lady who was running on the, the, the um, cross trainer, if a post backfires or you deemed, you know what, you can just delete it. People seem so scared to post something and there's a delete button. And I've deleted one post in two years. And it was my best, most engaged, most commented on post, which is rather annoying. 100%. So, I, you know, like not every post has to be unique. Why? Who said? What's the rule? What's the law? Uh, so, if you post a piece of content on one platform, tweak it and it will be deemed to be different. And of course, the algorithms are very complicated. So based on your headline and the key words and the relevance, it will get fed to different people at different times on the algorithms. So you're absolutely right. One post, but just with a headline change, could be perceived by the algorithms as a different and unique post. And of course, like you said, you can scroll and miss a post. Or you can scroll, look at headline now, I'm not interested. And then stop at another, oh, that one looks interesting. So people can pick the, the content that you put out there that they want based on the headline. This is why I never do bait and switch headlines. I know there's certain headlines I could write that will get a reaction. But I always want my headline to link to the content because if you bait and switch, you're false advertising in a way. I don't mind doing racy headlines or provocative headlines. I just don't, don't do bait and switch because I think that that's, a lot of people do do that. They trick people. Um, now, when it comes to written content, the golden rule seems to be 30-ish percent. So if a, a post is 30-ish percent different, it's deemed to be different by... That's a generic com comment and not, it won't be exactly that and it'll be different for Google or um, any other sort of content media platform. Now, here's the next thing. If a post does well, what should you do every six months? Repost it. And no one thinks that they could do that. Now, of course, if it's a time sensitive, you can't. But as soon as you get a post that goes well, click the top right-hand button on Facebook and save it or, or screenshot it. Get an outsourcer to diarise to repost it in six months or just put it in your diary to repo repost every six months. If you're struggling for content, Facebook is great for showing you what happened last year, the year before, on this day in. All right, great. Thanks for tuning in if you're listening.